Hey guys, you're listening to In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein. I am your host, Neil Rubenstein, and today I will be stuck in traffic. That is for certain. And I'll be talking with Nate Newton of the band Converge and Doom Riders. How's it going? I'm good. How are you, Nate? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Your baby's asleep? Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> she she woke it... up a little while ago, so hopefully uh, we can we can get through this. You're, uh, how long have you? Uh, how old is she? I guess is the <laughs> the right way to phrase it. <laughs> uh, she she's three. Three. Yeah, huh. she's not really a baby anymore. All right. But it's, you have a child, that's a huge thing. Yeah, it's pretty uh, wild, dude. Did you... So you, I mean, you're a full-time musician. Uh, Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Did you think when you were, you know, when you were playing VFW halls and basements with Jesuit that this is the path your life would take? Um, yes and no. Like, I knew that I'd always wanted to keep playing and, and, you know, I didn't really have any other, um, there, there was never anything else that I felt, you know, drawn to or passionate about. But at, at the same time, I always was like, well, I'm always going to be a poor fucking dirt bag that lives in the, in my <laughs> shitty van. So yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, I, I always felt like I was going to play music, but I certainly didn't think that it was uh, going to be something that I could actually survive on. And, I mean, even now, you know, who knows how long that'll last. But, I mean, you guys are like a legacy band at this point. Yeah, but, I mean, in order to, uh, you know, to actually be able to pay the bills, I have to play in more than one band. <laughs> like juggle that and kind of make it so that, uh, you know, I can be on the road and be home when I need to be. So, you know, we, I, I think that w with Converge, we're at a point now where, you know, w the band can be self-sufficient for as long as we want it to be. But I don't necessarily think that it's a viable option to think that I could support a family on that forever, you know. How do you, because you guys are like, uh, your scene, that scene up there is notoriously incestuous. Like, how do you guys make time for all the various projects that include, you know, similar members? Um, well, like, uh, what do you mean in particular? Well, like, so you, you're in Doom Riders and... I mean, you are Doom Riders and Converge, right? And then, yeah. then is UN and Converge, and you both do Old Man Gloom, and Brodsky is Mutoid Man, and sometimes Converge? The, uh, well, I guess, yeah, technically sometimes Converge. I mean, he's, uh, he's played two shows with us. Um, just not the entire shows though, just, uh, like coming in and guesting on stuff. 
And then th this thing that we've got coming up in uh, in April for Roadburn Festival, he'll be joining Which us I, for for that. I also um, want to talk about that in depth because that sure. sounds amazing. But but you know, I mean, all right. So all right, forget Brodsky. It, it seems like a lot of you guys are doing a lot of things. Like, do you? Is there like is it, it mapped out at the beginning of the year like hey Converge is going to be doing this this and this and then you have the rest of the time to do whatever you want and then you're like all right well I'm going to take this time for Doom Riders so Ben can go do UN or is is it like that or uh yeah pretty much I mean well I don't even Ben's not even playing at, at UN anymore um, oh he's not like oh. no no but Mutoid Man is like you know he, he's going pretty hard with that and I think he's still playing with killer be killed um but yeah like pretty much uh, honestly a, a lot of our schedule is based around kurt's recording schedule so we kind of like you know at the beginning of the year and periodically throughout we'll kind of you know be like all right what's your schedule looking like when do you have openings and then that's when we're like, okay, we're going to take this block to write some music. We're going to take this block to record. We're going to take this block to do to do some touring. And then the spots when he's already booked up, that's like, all right, well, I'm free then. So, you know, maybe we'll work on some Old Man Gloom stuff or maybe Doom Riders. We'll start start doing some shows then or, the, you know, it's, it's all, you know, it's just pretty much a, a matter of looking at the calendar and figuring it out. Was there ever, because uh, I know here when stuff like that happens, it, they're like, it gets real complicated and then like feelings get hurt. Was there like a, a growing pains period with that stuff or was it always like, well, Converge is A number one and then when, you know, when we have time, we'll have time. Or, or was it like, was there a period where it took, you know, there were some feelings hurt at some point? Uh, not really. I mean, we all kind of have always understood what everybody else was trying to accomplish in their lives. And, and I mean, Converge has always been a priority. But at the same time, you know, like, we had to be realistic about things as well. Um, so, th like, there's never really been a time where we were just like you know angry about any of that stuff like every now and then there have been a couple of uh things that may have overlapped and caused some uh you know some confusion but it, it always gets worked out like it's it's not too big of a deal you know and like converge is not a band that tours nine months out of the year you know it's it's like we're just we're not that kind of band we we never have been been and we're we're pretty lucky that that we can exist the way that we do and be self-sufficient um so yeah i mean like I, I guess you have to look at it all as one sort of interconnected thing you know like i think the fact that kurt is so busy with with uh recording bands you know like he owes some of that to converge just because of the visibility but at the same time his creative endeavors with recording other bands and and, and producing and and you know like uh being so like um vocal about record like 
I'm sorry, I'm brain farting right now. Like (laughs) doing like the the online seminars for recording and writing stuff for tape op mag. Um, That's helpful to converge too. You know, it. it, Yeah, yeah. So I, I think like when when you look at the whole the whole picture, you know, you've got me doing all these other bands. You got Jake busy with the label and um and his art you've got ben doing these other bands you've got kurt doing the the recording and also um you know making guitars and stuff like i i think it sort of strengthens the whole idea behind what we do as a band and it, i think i think ultimately it gets people more interested in what we're doing so i i think it's you know even, even when things sort of get in the way it still helps us if that makes sense yeah no totally totally um and what what was the impetus with blood moon like how did that get going and uh, um it was was a number of things like we talked we've talked for years actually about doing shows where where we only played our slow songs you know because I think for us, the the slow stuff is the stuff that has always been the most interesting and the most fun to write and record. And we, you know, maybe every tour will work one slow song into the set, but, you know, there's a lot of those songs that we've never gotten to play. So, um, yeah, we talked about it forever and just didn't know if it would ever really be possible because there's all this other instrumentation and, you know stuff like that and then a couple years ago we were playing in holland and uh walter who who does roadburn festival every year he came to the show and came back to talk to us and just asked us hey would you guys ever consider playing roadburn and just doing your slow songs and we were all just like yes (laughs) like we've been wanting to do it forever (laughs) so um yeah, that, that's pretty much it. And then it was just a matter of figuring out how to make it work and, uh, you know, who would be the the right people to have involved in it. And, uh, yeah, it's so far so good. I mean, we uh, we haven't rehearsed with the, with the entire cast of characters yet, but that's coming soon, and uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about it. Is uh, the dude from Neurosis is doing it with you guys, right? Um, Steve, yeah, he he's gonna do one song with us, but he will only be joining us for the Roadburn show because oh, Neurosis okay. is yeah we're we're doing I think a total of five shows and uh, Neurosis is gonna be out at the same time and then we're kind of meeting up at at Roadburn. And so we've got a day off while we're at Roadburn and we're going to rehearse with him that day. Hopefully it all comes together or it could be a train wreck. (laughs) Yes. I can't imagine. Uh, So it's you guys, Brodsky and Chelsea Wolf. Chelsea and, and Ben Chisholm who uh, plays in it, who plays or collaborates with Chelsea. They, they write all the music together and uh, he plays in her band. Yeah, that's gonna be so cool. Uh, you guys, I'm pretty interested to see how it turns out, man. <laughs> yeah, 
You guys have to do that in America too, right? Like at least the Boston and something, right? Yeah, I would love but, to, man. It, it, I mean, I, like, I don't know. It might be a secret now. I don't know. You guys might be like announcing it at something, but no, no. Um, right now, we don't have any plans to do it in the states because it took us so long just to work out all of the logistics for this one little European run and uh-huh. like, getting everybody involved in it to be able to come back, rehearse again, and then commit to shows is like, it, it turned out to be a lot more difficult than we thought it was going to be. And so like, and, and then with Kurt's recording schedule and everything else that we've got going on this year, it's, it's kind of like, I, I don't know if it'll be possible to do this year. Unfortunately, right, right, right. Um, but I mean, we all really want to do it, so it's just a matter of making it happen. Um, I, I'd say more than likely, if it do, if it were to happen this year, it wouldn't be till the end of the year, and more than likely, it would be next year. Well, as uh, speaking for all of your fans, uh, we hope that it does happen because that's when I saw the flyer for that for Roadburn, I was like, I might have to. Go to this. <laughs> like, you should go. Not even for us, man. It's such a good festival, dude. Like, yeah. it's one of one of the coolest festivals I've ever been to. Um, huh. it and every year, like, they always do something so cool and so interesting. Like, there's always some band that you're like, holy shit, that how they got that band to play? Like, how did they do that? You know, like. It, it, I'm pretty excited. Like Gizem is playing this year. That's fucking insane. You know, I'm I'm psyched. I can't fucking wait. Cool. Um, and then I wanted to talk to you about um, I want to talk about Jesuit. Oh boy. And <laughs> I, I okay. I get it. I know how people you know they're in the new thing. They don't want to talk about the old thing. I get that. You know. No, it's it's not that. I'm always okay. Whenever people bring up Jesuit, I'm afraid of what they're going to say next because I, it could be anything. (laughs) Oh no, you know I love. I mean, that's how we met. Like you know, I love Jesuit. Uh, Did you guys break up? Like, were you guys already breaking up when you came when you joined Converge, or was that like? You know, did you see a ceiling on Jesuit and decide to make that transition? Um, no, like, when I joined, well, I guess when when I, when I started playing with Converge and when I joined Converge are two different things. Like, I started, I went on tour with Converge just because they needed someone to go on tour with them on bass for, for a summer. And I was like, shit, yeah, you know. Jesuit yeah. doesn't have anything booked then. I'll go, sure. And, um, you know, I mean, Jesuit was a v- very, very dysfunctional family. You know, like, I we, we love each other. We're all still friends. But at the time, we were all, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but I was out of my fucking mind then. And, like, it just couldn't last. You know, I couldn't see that then, but in retrospect, I see that. Um, so it was coming to an end, but it was 
it, it wasn't a conscious thing, I guess. So really, like me joining Converge as a full-time member, that happened after Jesuit was over, and I was just kind of like, shit, what am I going to do? You know, I don't like where I live. I'm fucking unhappy. What the fuck? And then Converge was like, well, we still need a bass player. And I was like, fuck it. All right, let's go. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and when you, okay, did you start Doom Riders right away, or was that like a much later thing? Um, Doom Riders technically didn't really begin as a band till like 2004. But, um, and I, I moved to Massachusetts in 99 and started playing with Converge in 98. Uh, but I had met Chris Pepecki from, you know, through Cast Iron Hike years before, and we'd always talked about playing together. So when I moved up to Massachusetts in 99, like immediately we just started jamming together. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a band though. It was just the two of us playing guitar together, and uh, you know it took that many years for anything to even happen. Uh, so yeah, the, like I guess there was some iteration of it early on, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't Doom Riders until probably 2004. You know what I find the most interesting about the about Doom Riders is. And, and you might not feel this way. Like, I don't know what was going through your head, obviously, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, is that the first album felt like a new band. And then, like, as Doom Riders developed, it sounds more and more like a modern Jesuit. Like, if if Jesuit had continued as a band, I think they would sound like Doom Riders' last record sounded. Does that make sense to you, or... Yeah, I never thought about that, but I guess it makes sense because, like, the the first Doom Riders album, you know, that that's the sound of four guys learning how to play music together, you know, like, sort of feeling it out and seeing what works and, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. I guess, I, I guess also that record was... Like a, a, musically for me, it was a kind of direct response to what I'd been doing in the past, and a, a direct response to, I guess, the sort of current climate, or, or the, not current, but the the climate the of yeah. of music at the time, where I was just like, I'm fucking so sick of all this like overly serious, like fake intellectual bullshit like no one no one makes music that's just fucking fun anymore you know and so that's that's what i wanted to do so i i think that record partially was me trying to make myself write music in a in a genre that i wasn't really comfortable with so i i, I think huh. as the band as the band developed and we all sort of started gelling and there was a lot more chemistry. I think a little more of, you know, just me came through and, and not just me, everybody, but like, um, a little more of what came naturally to me probably started coming out 
as the band got a little, you know, more mature, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I just, uh, as an aside, if anyone is listening to this and is a Converge fan and or a Doom Riders fan and hasn't heard Jesuit, like, it's on Spotify and shit, and it's fucking awesome. Like, I know it's, you know, an old thing and, and you know, we're on to newer stuff, but I really, I'm a huge fan of that era and that, you know, I love all the stuff from that time. And that was one of those bands that, like, when it when it broke up, I was like, oh, man, what a fucking bummer. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. thanks, man. Yeah, it, it no. Was, I, it, was an, it was an interesting time for sure, man. Like, it's uh, it's kind of tough to explain it. You know, it, it wasn't like it was amazing or revolutionary or anything. You know, there was a lot of shitty music happening at the same time, but it was pretty cool to be around... And to, and to be a part of that early Hydra head scene and like, you know, see, see so many bands come up that, that ended up being really influential or, you know, spawning people who became very influential people in, in underground music and many of whom are still very, very active. So, you know, you, you think about that. And it's it's pretty cool to say, yeah, I was there for that. You know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I find it really difficult to convey, like what you're saying. Like, I find it difficult to convey to people who weren't a part of that how unique that experience was. Like, yeah, we, we were I mean, lucky. I mean, I'm sure there's kids today that are that feel the same way about their community, but I don't well, know, yeah, they and do. I'm not you a know? part of it, so I don't. Yeah, like it. You know, it's pretty neat when you like, I don't know, turn on, fucking, well, I guess not MTV anymore because they don't show music videos, but like, you see like a minus the bear video on TV, and you're like, that's the dude from Botch. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I toured with yeah, that yeah. dude. We 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 peed in fucking Gatorade bottles together. You know, like yeah, yeah. It, it's just it's pretty wild. You know, and I mean that's just one example. There's like so many people yeah. that um, came out that came out of that really small scene that have gone on to make you know influential or just widely like insanely popular music that and it's it's crazy you know because they're still the same dudes you know like yeah, dave, yeah. dave dave still comes out to every show i play in seattle and he hangs out like it's it's just wild i think a really fantastic example of it is pete wentz yeah that like would that be... dude was in a straight edge band that played with sons and jesuit and channel yeah. and you know like yeah that's Every time I'm like, isn't that the, wasn't that dude in Race Trader? <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's just mind blowing, dude. It's mind blowing. Yeah. But, you know, great. Good for him. No, it's sick. It's awesome. I, you, uh, very glad to have been a part, uh, however minor, in that whole universe. Existing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you're, uh, go ahead. Oh, no. I, I was just, I don't even know what I was going to say. You go. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll go. Uh, 
Do you, do you still skate? Yeah, all the time. Uh, do you have like a favorite? Uh, I don't. Is it still? I, I skated very briefly in like 1987, uh, but you know, around the culture all the time. Is it still? Do you have a favorite? Uh, you know, like a what's the word for it? Like a to, the world industries or you know, bird house. Like, like you have a favorite thing. Like a favorite brand or like yeah, a yeah, company. Yeah. Oh yeah, brand. Uh, That's the word. Brand. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, not really. Like, I'm 40, dude. Like, a skate, a skateboard is a skateboard. Like, I don't really give a shit what's painted on the bottom. Like, I have a few friends that that either run their own board company or like, or work for others. So, you know, I, I'm at the point where where it's like. You know, if it's the right size and you're giving it to me, I'm gonna ride it. <laughs> so that's that's the way I look at it. Did you Although have a favorite they, growing up? Yeah, I mean, like I loved Santa Cruz. That was always my my favorite. They were they were kind of like the the uh, I don't know the the more punk of the bigger uh, bigger board companies. You know, they had like they had Blast in their in their videos and like they they had that fucking killer Jim Murphy artwork not Jim oh, sorry Jim Phillips artwork Jim Murphy wrote for Alva um but uh, oh and actually that's a that's a good one actually Jim Murphy now owns a, a board company called Wounded Knee and I strongly support them because they uh they donate a lot of money to um to uh, Native American charities are you uh, are you part are you part Native American? I'm not, but people think I am. I'm a racial you, chameleon, dude. You'll never know what I am. Yeah, you're, you're very ambiguous. Uh, like you could be any, like you could say you're half anything. I'd be like, oh yeah, Nate's totally half that. Oh yeah, every everybody uh, everybody has a different opinion, but I'm not gonna if tell you. you. If you told me. <laughs> If you told me you were 100% Caucasian, I'd be like, okay, I kind of believe that. And if you told me you were 100% not like 0% Caucasian, I'd be like, I believe that too. Totally. Well, I, I will tell you that I am not 100% Caucasian. All right. That makes sense also. All right. Cool. <laughs> and the only I'm reason not, I'm not telling you is because I think it's funny. Because <laughs> you think what? Because I think it's funny that people don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, is that the thing? Oh, dude, yeah. People, have, people think, um, like people, like people have come up to me and, and just started speaking Spanish. Um, <laughs> other people think I'm Hawaiian. People think I'm Filipino. I mean, whatever. <laughs> people think all kinds of stuff. I just laugh. Yeah, and, and like even like their names, like totally ambiguous, like. Hey, yeah, that could be anything. I would, yeah, man. I buy it. It's great. I love it. But now we know that you're not Native American at any point, so. Oh shit. You, 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 you clearly you gave a couple of clues, so. I I, I outed myself. Damn it. We'll we'll figure it out. No, I feel I'll never like, get uh, into college for free. <laughs> uh, are you? Uh, 
the first Doom Riders record, like the artwork kind of reminds me of like an old Corey O'Brien set. We were kind of going for that sort of over-the-top feel. Yeah. All right. That's, that's all I have for that question. Oh, there you go. That was one of my favorite graphics, though, man. Yeah, I that used one. To, I used to have this, uh, this like trapper keeper that you know in in middle school. It's like yeah. you know where I kept all my shit for school, and I had, I had this fucking giant, giant Corey O'Brien sticker on it, and so I held on to that trapper keeper, like. Probably from like seventh grade till almost twelfth grade, I was like, I'm never getting rid of this fucking thing. But until it finally fell apart and couldn't be used anymore, and everyone would always be like, Why do you still have that? And I'm like, Because it's got this fucking Corey O'Brien sticker on it. <laughs> I can't get rid of this. You kidding me? Then it fell apart. Bummer. That I feel like that one was like one of the more iconic, and the um, the Rob Roscoff. Oh yeah, that one's one of the most classic skateboard graphics of all time. I think for Santa Cruz graphics, though, I gotta go with with uh, Corey O'Brien and then, the, then that first Jeff Grosso with the uh, with the demon coming up out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. Who was that? What was uh, who was the hand? The blue hand. That was just the uh, Speed Wheels Santa Cruz Speed Wheels logo. Okay, because that shit's been, like, knocked off so many times, I, like, I can't find the original. Like, I was like, what is, what is that? Yeah, I, that, that became a board graphic, like, in in the last 20 years. Like, in the uh, in the 80s, that was just, like, the their kind of go-to logo. But that's, that is definitely the most iconic Santa Cruz graphic without a doubt yeah yeah that gets knocked off constantly like i have yeah. a i have a lost boy shirt where it's the like it looks like the hand but it's Kiefer sutherland and it says <laughs> santa carla instead of santa cruz whoa that's pretty fucking cool yeah yeah San, no, it's a good santa shirt. cruz actually just did a uh they just did an art show i think it was like the 30th anniversary of, of the screaming hand and they had all these different artists do different iterations of, of the hand and like different interpretations and stuff. It's worth checking out if you uh, are bored on the internet. <laughs> when are you not? I'm always not. I'm always bored. So you know. The internet yeah. is for like I can't. I can't go on the internet and not just not do what I wanted to do. I never accomplish the things. The I'm going to turn off. Yeah, the, yeah, on the internet. The internet is like a uh, an eternal bag of potato chips. Right? Because like you know, you're like, alright, I just want a potato chip. And then you go and you eat the potato chip and you're like, fuck, that was a good potato chip. I'm going to get another potato chip. And you just, until the whole bag's gone. But the internet has, there's no bottom of the bag. So you just keep eating the chips. <laughs> what kind of parent do you plan to be? Like, are you going to steer your daughter in a certain direction? Or are you, like... Oh, Shit, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I, I'm steering in any direction. I don't know. I hesitate to to use those words. You know, like is it, I mean, do you have a kid? No. Okay. Well, then, it, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to explain it when it's hard to explain it to someone who doesn't have kids. Like you, you can't steer a kid anywhere. All you can do, <laughs> I'm serious. Like all you can do is lay out the option and try and encourage them to explore the options, you know, like, and I mean, I'm, I'm still new at this, you know, and who, who knows what's to come and, you know, and when she's a teenager, but like, you know, all you can do is be supportive and let your kids know that, you know, that the world is their oyster, you know, that there's all, there are all these things out here, you know, learn about them, try them. Don't, you know, that's all I can do is be supportive and try and, you know, help her to be strong and brave and smart. Although, with me as her dad, she's she's already at a at a disadvantage for the smart part. <laughs> Would you be like I, I I don't know, I guess it's a weird way, like would you be more or less stoked if she was like, Hey, I'm joining a punk band and dropping out of school, would you be like, Oh, that's cool Or would you be like, No, no, no. This is a horrible idea. I mean, you know, I would when when you ask a question like that at face value, it's like, yeah, of course I want my kid to finish school, <laughs> you know, like, but, you know, you got to wait till, till they're, till they're there in that situation, you know, like I, I know plenty of people who dropping out of school was the right move for them, you know, yeah. I know other people who it was a terrible idea. So like, you got to wait till I'm there. I mean, ultimately, no, I, yeah, I want my kid to go to school. <laughs> I don't want her to, to ruin her life. <laughs> and playing in a punk rock. Say what? <laughs> you didn't go to college, right? Oh, I, I, no, I did not go to college. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think so. I didn't want to, I made a, I made a, an assumption. This, I don't know. I don't know why. I just, you seem like, as students, yeah, you like seem dumb. No, no, no. Well, no, I didn't. I mean, I didn't go to school either. But like, it, you seemed like as soon as I was, as soon as I started playing in bands, which was like a year or two after high school, like you were, or you were in bands too. Like you were touring when other people were in, in class. So yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I, like, I made that assumption that you know. Uh, no, that's a, you, that's a totally valid assumption. I mean, that's pretty much what happened. Like, I, I... When I graduated from high school, I was just like, fuck, I don't know if I can do this. And then I, I went to yeah. college for, like... I went to community college for, like, two semesters and was like... I, I fucking flunked out because I just couldn't pay attention, you know? Yeah, like, same. same I, yeah, I was like, I can't, I can't fucking do this. Like, not that... Not that I didn't want to or ever think, hey, maybe I'll go back, but it was just like 
at that point in my life, I just all I would have been doing would is waste time and money. So the the opportunity right away came up like, hey man, go on the road. I was like, fuck it, I'm going. And that's kind of kind of what led me to where I am, I guess. You can interview me again in another 10 or 15 years. I'll tell you if it's worked out or not. <laughs> I just, I actually just had a conversation with someone where I was like, I wonder if the things you think now about your your childhood experiences, how your perception of them changes, you know, in another 10 years. Like, now that everything is recorded and you can, like, keep, uh, uh, you know, a journal of of those opinions, how, like, over time, how drastically they would change. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. I know my perspective has changed, but I don't have the proof of it. But now that I'm talking, in, you know, into a recording device and putting it on the Internet, you know, I have this journal of it. So in 10 years, I want to go back and be like, oh, no, I was totally wrong, and here's the proof. Oh, totally. Or And, I mean, even just with, like, social media. You know, you can scroll back through your life and you're just like, shit, I said that? Oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Totally. I'm so, like, I'm, you know, like, I think it's a pretty much, uh, like, across-the-board thing with people our age, but I'm so fucking glad that social media didn't exist when I was a kid, man, because I was such a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> Not that I'm much better now, but, like, I at least know when to keep my mouth shut now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I said horrible things. I was horrible to people. Oh, dude, I've, yeah. Just, uh, there, there are things that I've said and done in my life that I'm genuinely ashamed of. And, you know... I'm glad that there's not electronic record of it. There's some record of some of the stuff, because I did, like, a zine and stuff, so I probably said some stupid stuff to <laughs> put it in print. Thankfully, uh, my, a thankfully my uh, ADD kept me from being able to ever complete a zine. <laughs> uh, yeah. I always have to shout from rooftops for some reason. It's, like, dumb. Uh, you know, I, I think that was just kind of a symptom of the time. Like, th that's just what we thought we had to do. That was, like, the norm in, in the hardcore scene back then. Like, yeah. if, you're not, yeah. if you're not doing something, putting something out there, then what are you doing? And, yeah. you know, I, I think that changed a lot over the uh, over the years. But then that was... That was how you, uh, you know, asserted yourself, I guess. That's how you showed that's, that you were a part of it. That's, like, interesting uh, in the other way, too, though. I had I had done an episode of this with Ron Richards, and we were talking about how, like, so many people came from the Harper scene and are doing big things like writing for TV or, you know, uh, running – whatever they're doing, big things. I can't think of examples now, but whatever. And what you just said, like, kind of is why. Like, we were in a scene where it was like, if you're not creating something and 
and and being a, a part of it, then you're not, you know, you're you're not doing it. You're not a part of it. You're like, why are you even bothering? You know, like the yeah. Because it was, it was horribly. No, I I know exactly what you mean because it was so small then that just showing up at the show wasn't really enough. It it was not really doing enough to to help it sustain itself. You know, you it needed more, and you know, like when when I really started getting involved in punk and hardcore. Like I started to go I started going to shows in the eighties, but like I was really young and I kinda came into it right at like the sort of the death rattle for that second wave of like all the big, huge, massive stuff that was happening and then like it all died and then the early nineties happened and everything just fully went grassroots again because that was the only option. And so, like, I I think for people that came up in that time, probably through, like, the mid-'90s, like, that was just the norm. That was just, like, yeah, of course I do a zine. Yeah, of course I'm in a band. Of course I I do shows. Because it was, like, if if you didn't do those things, there was no hope of those things happening in your town. Or at least where I lived, you know. Yeah. No, yeah, where I—I I mean, everywhere. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, obviously everywhere, but everywhere I have been, you know, everywhere I've been yeah. on tour, it felt like the same thing. Like, you play some weird random town because that's where the kid lived that it shows. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, like, you know, it evolved from that, and things changed, and it grew, and that sort of mentality isn't necessarily um, as needed now. You know, I mean, it still exists, obviously, but, like, it's not as prevalent because, you know, there's, like, there's an infrastructure for it now, and, and, like, it's all been laid out, and it's much easier for it to, you know, with the Internet and, and everything, it's much easier for it all to exist, whereas back then it it was just you know so small, and you you were you really did feel like separated from people because you didn't have that instant connection like the internet. Um, so yeah, I think what you're saying is totally true. Like you had you, these people that came up in that world, and then just applied that same you know, way of thinking to whatever else they uh, they got into. So it's it's yeah, pretty it's, cool, you know? Like every now and then I would turn on the television and, I, and Tim and Eric would be on and I'd be like, fuck, man, that's Eric Wareheim. That's amazing, yeah, you know? That's a, that's a good example. That's a really good example of it. Yeah. yeah. It's like that dude slept on the floor in my kitchen or in my parents' living room, you know? Yeah. Like there's a strong possibility he ate spaghetti in your in your kitchen. No, so. so he definitely <laughs> like, did. I know yeah. he did because I cooked it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey man, uh, I'm about to get off the highway, man. You did it. Oh, you know, right get through this. We did it. Good job. Uh, Nate, thank you. you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank oh, you. dude, thanks for having me, man. It was fun. All right, cool, man. Uh, I'll let you know when it's up, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Cool. All right, man. Take care. All right, man. Peace. Bye. 
jerk, Neil.